we've seen this shift in, in the balance of capital investments versus day-to-day operating expenses like labor, energy, and maintenance and others. 50 years ago, these were just about even, but while the level of annual capital investments during this time has only doubled, operating costs have more than quadrupled. I am Reese Tisdall, and this is Future Warner, which we talk about all the ways which companies, utilities, and people are addressing the challenges and opportunities in water. This is episode 83, and I know it's going to be a good one because today I'm joined by Bluefield Senior Analyst Charlie Seuss. Chicago-based Charlie has dug into water rates across some of the largest utilities in the U.S. He was looking to uncover some broader trends year on year, but also causes for volatility at the local level. So we're going to bring Charlie in, hopefully shed some light on what's happening when it comes to water rates and water bills for the households across the U.S. And I'm not going to lie, the report which you just put out, U.S. Municipal Water and Sewer Annual Utility Rate Index 2023, uh, it's always one of the most popular downloads on our website. And as a listener to this podcast, I'll tell you why. It's free for registrants on Bluefield's website. So if you just go to www.bluefieldresearch.com, you can register. Then you can go to the top of the page and you'll get access to the analysis on U.S. water rates. Uh, Consider it a holiday season gift from Bluefield Research. But before we bring Charlie into the conversation, I'm going to take a little bit of a new approach uh, in, at the advice and guidance of my thoughtful colleagues. They missed the old format, which I talked a little bit, a couple of news items and what we were thinking at Bluefield. So let's give the people what they want. So, but I'm not going to give you three. I'm just going to give you one. Let's go around. Maybe we'll build up to three. But a news item uh, to talk about today is France-based SAR is, uh, it signed an agreement to acquire natural systems utilities, provider return key water treatment reuse solutions in the U.S. Natural systems utilities, if you haven't heard of them, They report over 270 distributed systems around the U.S., mainly focused on wastewater treatment and direct water reuse solutions. Notable projects, I think, include, I think there's one in Battery Park in New York, another in Brooklyn, but also in my mind, because I'm in Boston, they do have a system at Gillette Stadium where the New England Patriots play just south of Boston. So, they're, uh, they've been around a while. Actually, XPV is a private equity firm that uh, was a big investor over the better part of a decade, so if not longer. So it's interesting to see XPV make an exit, but also uh, Natural Systems Utilities hooking its wagon to SAR, who's actually been interesting to watch for a number of different reasons. Typically, SAR has been lumped together with Veolia and Suez because of its traditional business model, water services, utility concessions, and it's French. So, uh, but in 2022, SARS revenues were about 1.9 billion euros, mainly through its concessions. But what's interesting to us is this growing industrial footprint that's that's built out through M&A in recent years. And in some cases, it's been at the benefit of the Suez Violi merger. But really, why do we care at Bluefield? Really, it's it's like I said, it's a focus on industrial, distributed, and mobile treatment reuse. You know, lots of big water terms there, but uh, it's really interesting. They they're actually building out or building from the platform they acquired a couple of years ago, which is uh, Nahuis 
Dutch company that they acquired. And that's really sort of what all these new deals are being rolled up into. Natural systems, utilities, part of it, another interesting piece is that it's expected to expand SARS relatively new US footprint. I think it was last year it purchased a company, Aquachem, water purification company, Aquachem uh, in the US. So it's growing in the US and obviously because of its water treatment technology, they do have applications outside of the US. And for instance, you know, uh, SAR acquired Veolia's mobile treatment business in Europe. I think that was last year as well. And that was part of the the Veolia Suez merger. It was a divestment of one, it was at least one of the assets sold off. And then we've also been following SARS global repositioning over the past couple of years, you know, some pushing and pulling different ways. It's dialed back in some markets like Colombia, where it had some utility concessions that it sold off to FCC, the Spanish engineering company. Uh, at the same time, it has also expanded its digital position in places like the Middle East, Saudi Arabia in particular. So it's, it's sort of reshaping its footprint or its mix of activities as a whole. And when it comes to sort of distributed water, I mean, according to our analysts, this is really where the market's heading. To say this is a disruption might be a little strong, but it's definitely an area of change across the market, whether it be at the corporate level, whether it be industry, uh, and in some cases, you know, for natural systems utilities like hospital campuses, university campuses, there is definitely opportunity out there. And in some cases, we've seen policymakers at the city municipal levels encouraging distributed reuse. San Francisco is the most notable one uh, we've talked about before, I believe, on this podcast and also in our research. So the biggest challenge is going to be scaling it. And then lastly, it'll be interesting to see what happens with SAR. It's industrial water services at the end of 2022 made up 16% of the company revenues. And by middle of this year, the first, in the first half, it, it had already climbed up to 21%. Um, and that was done through organic and M&A growth during the first half of the year. So it's interesting to see how that plays out. So that's my news item of the week or for this podcast. I'll bring out, you know, as we go forward, I'll start doing some more. But before we bring in Charlie, one last thing. This is my ask. If you're using a podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. It's as easy as clicking on the appropriate star or just writing a quick comment such as, hey, the future water is great. That'd go a long way to getting the word out there, helping our SEO and just letting everybody else know that uh, podcast is worth listening to. So if you're hearing this, I'm going to give you a heartfelt thanks in advance. And with that, Let's get on to Charlie. All right. So I'm joined here by Charlie Seuss just before Thanksgiving. Charlie, how are things? Doing good. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing some fam this week. Are you sticking in the Chicago area? What's your what's your uh, plan? Yeah. Just a short drive away. So looking forward to it. Nice. Yeah. it's uh, looks like uh, there's a storm sweeping across the East Coast just in time for holiday travel. So I'm glad I'm missing that. I'll be in New Hampshire this time of year. So uh, that'll be good. So, all right. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you've been doing a deep dive into some water rates. And so we do this every year, look at the same utilities, which provides us basically a benchmark uh, of where things are heading or not heading, and also to identify some 
underlying driver. So let's talk big picture. So what have you done? What's uh, what are some of the takeaways or at least high level points that you uncovered in the uh, analysis of U.S. water rates? Yeah. So uh, for about eight years now, um, we've engaged in this uh, comprehensive analysis of water and sewer rates for 50 of the largest U.S. cities. Um, and our analysis looks at some of the drivers and associated impacts of their on, on residential water and sewer bills, you know, given that ratepayers represent the primary funding source for municipal operating expenditures. So the utilities that we surveyed collectively provide about potable water and wastewater collection and treatment services to around 15% of the U.S. population. Um, and so across 50 of, you know, these largest U.S. metropolitan areas. Um, what the data showed through our analysis is that monthly household water bills averaged about $51 um, and monthly sewer bills averaged $71, roughly, um, dollars, uh, based on the national average for household consumption. So, yeah, so we're looking at about $120 a month um, all in. So and it's not something, quite honestly, I think a lot of people think about. You really don't have a choice in many respects. You need water and uh, you need the wastewater system or the sewer to put it all. So when we look at this year over year, you know, the numbers that we're seeing, you know, at 50 and 71 or 120 in aggregate, are they is this on pace with historical numbers? What's the year over year trend we're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so at least over the past 12 years, um, combined household water and sewer bills for the typical U.S. household have increased a, a total of 56%. Um, uh, yearly, That the average comes out to about a 4.2% increase year over year. From 2022 to 2023, combined bills increased by 3.9%, so down a little bit from the 5.2% increase that we saw from 2021 to 2022. And, and so for a typical U.S. household, sewer costs typically comprise about 59% of the combined monthly bill, um, which reflects the, many of the higher costs associated with upgrading or maintaining sewer systems, um, as well as treatment costs. So to put things in perspective, monthly water and sewer bills range from a low of about $19 in San Antonio to a high of $122 in Portland, Oregon, based on this national average consumption figure. Meanwhile, uh, when we look at sewer bills, these range from a low of roughly $11 per month in, in Long Beach, California, to a high of over $170 in Seattle, Washington. So one other thing, I guess, to point out when we're thinking about historical trends is we've seen this shift in, in the balance of capital investments versus day-to-day -day operating expenses like labor, energy, and maintenance, and others. 50 years ago, these were just about even. Um, but while the level of annual capital investments um, during this time has only doubled, operating costs have more than quadrupled. One of my colleagues, he explained this as kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where the less you invest in replacing or rehabilitating um, and modernizing your infrastructure, the more expensive it is to operate. So utilities have, you know, an incentive to, you know, they really have to keep raising rates just to try to keep pace with their operating expenses um, and, and meet these capital investment needs. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point, you know, and that's a, this is an exhibit we put out um, or we provide to clients um, is sort of background of what's happening in the U.S. municipal water sector. It is that shift towards OPEX. You know, it's it's pretty it's pretty significant. Like you said, it was 50-50, you know, share, you know, 50 years ago, not to confuse anybody with all those numbers, but now it's what closer to, you know, 65-35, I think. Um, so the big difference and, you know, there is that trend towards if you don't rehabilitate repair, like, uh, like you were saying, then you're going to end up, you know, fixing a lot of pipes, you know, putting on a lot of band-aids, uh, whether it be pipes and systems. So, you know, on a whole, or maybe in aggregate, you know, it seems fairly stable. Like you said, it's, you know, 4.2% over the better part of a decade, um, not, it's nothing crazy. Well, it doesn't sound crazy in today's world, given what's happening with inflation and, and everything else. So maybe it's kind of in line where, it, where it should be, but, uh, but it's not changing dramatically from year to year, as far as you can tell, but there is some variation city to city. And that's really sort of where some of the real nuance comes into play. So how, how does it look when you start digging into the cities um, year over year? Yes. Yeah, so I guess to take a step back, when you pay your water bill, you're not just paying for the water, you're paying for all the infrastructure required to extract that water from the environment, to treat it, to pipe it and pump it all the way to your house, and then pipe it and pump it back out of your house in the form of wastewater, treat it again, and then return it to the environment. So all of that infrastructure requires constant maintenance. And as the system age and populations grow and capacity needs grow, um, you, know, you also have eventual, you know, inevitable investments that needs in, in capital upgrades. So given all that, a lot of the notable rate increases we've seen are largely a reflection of rising costs uh, and inflation and affecting O&M as, as well as capital investments for aging infrastructure. And utilities have not been immune from a lot of these economic disruptions we've seen over the last few years. And um, whether it's higher costs for labor, chemicals and materials um, or inflationary pressures, these are all some of the most cited reasons that we've come across for um, that utilities are citing for, for rate increases. Other drivers include, you know, new programs targeting drought resiliency in California, or, or as well as um, certain debt services for capital programs in Detroit and, and Washington, D.C. Um, other cities like Riverside, California, were forced to implement um, or resume some of the new rate schedules after years of postponements, largely due to COVID, or I should say COVID pandemic rate relief pro programs that began to expire in the last couple of years. The only utilities that we saw that, um, or in, in this survey, I should say, that saw a decline in their combined water and sewer bill, bills were Jacksonville, Florida, Long Beach, California, and San Antonio, while there were about four cities that saw increases over 10%. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. It, to your point, you know, it, I think, and as I said, you know, in aggregate, it's, it's relatively stable. But when you start looking down in the weeds, you start really noticing sort of the ups and downs, like you said. Four cities saw increases of 10% while, uh, you know, there were several others that had declines. And it does swing from year to year based on capital projects. It could be labor and, and chemicals. That was one of the big things. I think there was a, it was a chemical plant or facility fire a couple of years ago that really had an impact on operating costs, or at least for the chemicals themselves for treatment. 
So things like that do happen. And I don't necessarily think that's going going to go away. But, you know, we're looking at 50 cities, whereas, you know, in 15% of the U.S. population, when you look at the U.S. as a whole, we're looking at 50,000 water utilities, another 15, 20,000 wastewater systems. It's pretty fragmented. And so there's no, uh, it's not a lot of commonality between them all. And one of the reasons we do this is because we often have a number of people, particularly the media coming to us, looking for clear trends and drivers on water rates. But this isn't really the, the case. I mean, if there is a takeaway from the exercise, what would you say? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there are a couple, you know, takeaways um, on that note from doing this exercise. First, as you said, you know, the, the U.S. utility landscape is really fragmented. So the drivers and, and demands on utilities and the rates can really vary a lot to, just depending on the location, the system size, the age of assets, along with a handful of other factors. And the second point I would make, I guess, is that, you know, water can be very political. There's often a disincentive to raise rates, at least among politicians. That being said, you know, some cities are more inconsistent in, in their rate structures. So you see, you know, uh, swings from zero to double digit increases from year to year. And, you know, yes, that is typically happening for the, all the right reasons, such as a big capital project to uh, spike in operating costs or because of the pandemic. But from the ratepayers' perspective, these factors are not necessarily evident or, or even justified in their minds for, for such an essential service. So rates, you know, will continue to be, you know, a, a, a hot topic and, uh, looking forward to tracking trends in the future as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that your last point is, is maybe the most uh, important one is that I think everybody notices when their cable bill goes up, you know, five, 10, 15, 20%, there's usually, including myself, you know, there's a freak out, um, you know, like, oh my God, it went up so high, even the internet, but the water, you know, bills, I think you, you, you do see less of that. And there are a number of reasons. Some some customers across the US, they're not even billed monthly, right? So it's like, a, it, you know, or it's an average. And so they're not seeing these big swings. They're not even being closely monitored in their, in their usage uh, of water itself. So, you know, sort of out of sight, out of mind. I think there's also the expectation. Uh, and then the other part of it is, you know, the, the one, you know, if there's a ceiling on water rates, uh, one is, you know, people need, you need water to, to live, right? So you can't just cut people off and that, you know, there are, if you're in low income neighborhood or low income household, you know, the city can't be doing such things. So there is sort of, there, there are programs to subsidize, um, but usually they're third party programs that come from, from other sources rather than the city or the utility itself. Um, there are a couple of innovative, uh, if you want to call them innovative ways where, you know, uh, water bills and rates have been based on income levels and such, but it's not very common when it comes to that. It's usually I've got a water bill and then you're either have access to some other subsidy from some third party provider. So, well, Charlie, this is really great. I know this is, you know, it's a lot of work that goes into it you know, because you have to go city by city and it's also just going through some of the little details that no one's really paying attention to except for you. But I appreciate you jumping on the 
on the podcast to share these insights. But before I let you go, why don't you uh, give everybody a heads up uh, what you're working on now and what to expect in the coming months, maybe before the end of the year? Yeah, thanks, Reese. Uh, we've got some, uh, you know, exciting new research on some of the updates to the lead and copper rule coming out, as well as, you know, another report on PFAS. So stay tuned for that. Um, there's definitely some interesting stuff coming out before the end of the year. Yeah, those are two areas of focus. I mean, the PFAS one is also really interesting with you've got the circle ruling coming up, the MCL guidance uh, seem, is about to come into play. Um, and you've got all these legal sediments that have been happening. So uh, our forecast, which we updated relatively recently, I know that'll be a big part of this as well, sizing the PFAS market. Um, overall, at least in the US, see what's happening. So that's really great. And then lastly, I know you just put out your analysis of uh, investor and utility M&A. You put out the quarterly, which is really interesting as well. There's a lot happening when it seems to be picking up a little bit from a slower middle to earlier part of the year. So this is great. Well, with that being said, Charlie, thanks a million for uh, jumping on the podcast in somewhat short notice and uh, right before Thanksgiving. So Hope you have a great Thanksgiving and uh, we will uh, talk again soon. You too. Thanks, Reese. Take care. Bye. All right. That was great to have Charlie on. I think it's actually been a little while. So super useful uh, to hear his insights. Uh, so before we sign off, if you're in Boston, Barcelona, or anywhere we are, just let us know. We'd enjoy the opportunity for a meeting. Uh, please subscribe and give us a review. That is Future Water podcast. That would be super helpful. It's how we uh, bump up in the ratings. And then uh, send us a note to waterexperts at bluefieldresearch.com with any topic ideas you'd like us to discuss. We're doing this for you. And lastly, tell a friend about it. This podcast and these water industry insights have been brought to you by the one and only Bluefield Research. To learn more about us, visit us at bluefieldresearch.com. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and take care.